Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. I'm Adam, and with me here today is... Jeremy. We're here today to talk about X-Men 16, the January 1966 issue. The cover features the X-Men battling the Master Mold. The caption, The Supreme Sacrifice. I really like this drawing of Master Mold. There's a lot of excellent shading going on here. Does yours uh, have a lot of color shading like mine does? Um, I have to, I, I don't know. I'm looking at a scan of the original book, and you're probably looking at a, uh, a redone, um, yeah. a, a re, whatever you call it, recolorized one. But this one looks like it has like a lot of pencil shading in on his chest, uh, and then the color. Yeah, I think for my version, they replaced the pencil shading with the color oh. shading. Well, anyways. Something like that. Although there is, there is pencil marks. Okay. It's a nice cover. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the way Master Mold looks. I think he looks like a giant, well, kind of like a giant tick. <laughs> a lot like the Juggernaut did earlier. So whoever's cranking out these drawings is basically drawing the same thing with uh, you know different helmets. The perspective of this cover is actually pretty weird, too, if you look at Iceman compared to the rest of the X-Men. Well, Iceman's, like, way up there, you know. He's getting yeah. ready to club him in the nose with his ice bat while everybody else is kind of hovering so around So that means feet. that Master Mold's arms and legs are huge. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Cyclops is hanging off of his knee, and uh, the I rest of his leg... I was thinking that he was actually humping his knee. <laughs> well, it, you know, Scott does get a little bit lonely there. Um, And I did notice, this is very clever, I like this a lot, if you look at Iceman's little ice pole or whatever he's uh, climbing on, at the base of it, uh, you see Kirby Anters or something, anyways, they've put their name. Kirby and Ayers. Yeah, I'm not sure whose name it is, but it's a a well-hidden little autograph there. I don't think I've noticed the uh, the Kirby's in in the past covers, although I really haven't been looking. It's Dick Ayers, the uh-huh. anchor. So, yeah, with that, uh, our book this month, I'm sorry, this week, is entitled The Supreme Sacrifice, as was listed on the cover. And i got to tell you, without getting too far into it, I feel cheated out of two whole pages of this comic book. And as we move forward, I'll, I'll explain why. The first <laughs> page is pretty evident. It's another one of those useless splash screens of... Uh, of basically something that may or may not be happening in the middle of the book, but it's Master Mold exploding out of the middle of the X-Men. Master Mold's head, really. Yeah, yeah, Master Mold's head. Uh, Stan Lee is still doing the story. Jack Kirby is doing the layouts. Penciling is by Jay Gavin, and the delineation is by Dick Ayers, and the lettering by Art Simic. What is a delineation? I think it's a fancy way of saying inking. Oh, inker, sure. He's He's... Mm, delineating the lines. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so now we move on to the second page, which I feel is the second wasted page in this entire comic book. So the, the as uh, I believe last uh, issue, the comic book went monthly as was splashed across the cover of the book. Uh, and so for the first time, I feel we're treated with an entire page summary of basically the last two issues. Yeah, I did notice that. Uh, basically, Professor X, where we left Professor X off last issue, he was crawling. His astral form was crawling to his physical form, and apparently he made it, well, uh, which knocked him out of his chair. Yeah, and, and what, he, what I don't understand, now I remember at the last, at the end of last issue, uh, Professor was making a big deal about this whole thing, saying, oh, I might be trapped in my body forever, so I need to make it back, hurry. 
But I don't like what what did he fall out of his chair or like was he pushed out of his chair or shot because he's he's talking about how much pain he's in and stuff. Yeah, something happened off panel. Like okay. <laughs> he had to make a major uh astral jump into <laughs> his body and maybe that caused him to fall over or something out of the sure. chair. Jolted his entire body, maybe, is a little undue stress for an old man like him. At any rate, he spends the rest of the page describing the previous two issues. Yes, uh, yes. And there's it's six panels, and then we get to the uh, seventh panel on the page, uh, which is a treat because you don't generally get seven panels on a page. So they really did stick a lot of uh, verbiage on here where we learn that, oh, my gosh, uh, I need to do something. That's <laughs> basically what he says, you know. Uh, the Sentinel uh, Citadel base outside mm-hmm. of it that rose up from the hill sinks back under the hill and is completely uh, disappears from view. Mm-hmm. And the professor determines that he must go back to the city uh, where the Sentinel from issue 14 mm-hmm. fell over. And he's decided that this is the key to this defeat, uh, to defeat the Sentinels. Yep. I gotta he fell f- over. I got to find out why. And you'd think that, I mean, maybe he shouldn't have even come this far in the first place. He should have maybe just stayed with the fallen Sentinel to learn this information. But Yeah, he got cocky. He was like, we can take him. Yeah. <laughs> so and then any- he crawls which, uh, to the nearest highway, which, I mean, wow. <laughs> well, he's dedicated. He's, he's, got, uh, he's got a mission. He's not going to give up. I mean, if you look at these wide panels as, as in this issue and from previous issues, there's no highway near this at all. Yeah. So he had to crawl several miles, and I'm talking must have been hours. Mm-hmm. Hours of crawling. So he finally finds a highway, and uh, it appears based on this panel that as soon as he made his way to the highway, a car appeared, which was very fortunate for him. Or maybe he's been waiting there for a <laughs> while. Who knows? <laughs> He doesn't know if he's just imagining this or if there really is a car out there. <laughs> For the love of God. Oh, my God, it's a car. Thank God. And he telekinetically tells them, or tele-empathically? Yeah, telepathically, I think, is the right Telepathically term. tells them to slow down and pick him up and take him into town. Well, hey, he actually says, slow down, stop 100 yards ahead. Now, to me, I'm thinking about this in my head. If I'm driving a car... And I think to myself, because the idea here is that the people that he's telepathically talking to, he's not saying, hi, I'm the professor, and I'm in your head right now, and I'd like you to stop and pull over in 100 yards. He's planting an idea saying, you should stop ahead in 100 yards. So my first thought is, when you're driving a car, are you able to be like, okay, 99, 98, 97, 96, 50, 100 <laughs> yards? You know, I don't know. I, would, I think a better idea would have been to say, slow down, pull over at that rock over there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Something of a landmark or anything. So the guys uh, find the old man. They get out, and they, they pick him up and, and carry him into his car. But the guy in the blue suit here, he's kind of suspicious about why they stopped. It doesn't seem to really make sense. This is the common theme of this issue. People doing things that the professor wants them to do and they, them <laughs> that, questioning why they're doing it. And much of it not making sense. And now the reason, kind of, you know, it's basically like a nice way to tell uh, us, the audience, that people are in other people's heads and it's confusing. And See, now I disagree. If the professor really is the most powerful brain on the earth, he would have been able to plant those suggestions and not have it 
feel as if these were um i don't know extra extraordinary thoughts of theirs do you know what i mean i yeah i do and i agree with you a hundred percent um it's it's clearly just a way to communicate what's going on to the audience and i don't i don't think it's necessary but it is the 60s so what are you gonna do i mean i I guess it would be better to have the professor just telling the audience what he's doing uh i'm telling them telepathically that they have to do this and therefore they're doing it yes so then we're treated to a scene inside of the sent- the the now uh, submerged uh, in the ground sentinel citadel of the X-Men who when we last left them were pulled unexpectedly to the ground well now they've been put into a bubble and they're being carried above the ground which is I don't know is that ironic <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not I don't know. The the bubble still has no gravity inside of it so they're still trapped at the at the Ah uh, no Adam it has more gravity it doesn't have no gravity. It has more gravity, as Cyclops oh, points right. out. There's only it one answer. Gravity. They found a way to increase the weight of gravity. Now, gravity's not actually a weight. Gravity's a force. But anyways. Okay. Well. I believe Cyclops but... flunked uh, physics. <laughs> I apparently did, too. <laughs> but, uh, what, what did they do last issue? Did they... Did they remove the gravity, or was that, again, increasing the gravity? They increased gravity. Okay. And they all got kind of pummeled. Well, they all got pulled to the floor, and they're like, oh, we can't move. This is the end of the X-Men. Gotcha. <laughs> and Cyclops wants to know where they are taking them and why. And we never really find out. But they basically take them to a large room. Yeah. The why, the why is never answered. They get taken to a number of places, but we don't really know why. So, yeah, they are taken to some sort of room with lots of gadgets and more sentinels pulling levers and checking dials and stuff. And it looks yep. like there's a specially made holder for this little bubble contraption, which is quite handy. It's it's nice that they planned that far ahead. Yeah, it's not just a divot in the floor that they happen to be using. <laughs> it's something that was specially programmed for this. I like to think See? of it as a... Uh, a um, a uh, gravity weight intensifier holder holder <laughs> socket if you will <laughs> socket <laughs> all right anyway so the x-men take turns one by one attempting to get out of this bubble uh cyclops blasts it but can't smash it tires himself out Jean gray levitates herself um and eventually runs out of the ability to levitate herself and drops mm-hmm Iceman, with the best idea so far, uh, tries to build up enough ice inside to cause the pressure of ice to destroy the walls, mm-hmm. which uh, the way that he does it, the, it actually shatters the ice instead of the wall. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this is a bad idea, and they really shouldn't give up. Mm-mm. This is like I, they should do something like a multi-pronged ice uh, increaser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he only but, he, he really only tries once and then kind of gives up. Yeah, well, apparently we learned for the first time ever that uh, Iceman's power does tire him out. It does say there, each chunk of ice I make uh, makes me weaker. Now, that's an interesting phrase of dialogue there because when we've seen Iceman in the past, he's kind of generating ice and adding on to existing ice. The way that this is drawn 
kind of looks like he's just creating chunks of ice and adding it to the existing chunk of ice. It's a very arduous looking process rather than creating an ice, I don't know, eye beam to push, push the sides uh, across. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I kind of, I would imagine. So I would imagine, you know, those old, uh, uh, um, bunny ears for the television that were telescoping and yep. you, would, you would pull them up. Well, I would imagine, uh, Iceman's power as that. So he starts off in the middle of the chunk and he is just able to, with his ice generation, add on to the ends, pushing it outward, kind of like that telescoping antenna. Yeah. But it doesn't appear that his power works that way. At least he's not using it in that way inside of this uh, bubble. Well, there's his uh, flaw. He's using his powers wrong. I know. You know, you'd think after a couple of years and a graduation, he'd be able to figure out how to use his powers. So uh, Angel does not make an attempt to do anything and whines to himself about how useless he is. He's like, oh, I thought I was better than everybody, but look at me now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's basically what he says. That's pretty much what he says exactly. Uh, Cyclops says, hey, everybody, you tried. And Iceman, you're a man now. And yeah, as a man, you now have manly duties. Get over here, boy. No, he doesn't say that, but he does call him no, a man. He, he does. He, he actually, there's a nice little panel where... Iceman says, I failed you. And then Cyclops says, don't ever say that again, boy. He does say <laughs> that. He follows it up with, you did all that any man could do. You tried your best. And, uh, well, and then Iceman says, you called me a man for the first time. Now, Cyclops does back that up with, you're as much of a man as any of us. But I really don't think that Cyclops directly said, Iceman, today you are a man. Because he says... You you don't ever say that again, boy. You did all that a man could do. And now, you know, sometimes a boy can step to the plate and do what a man does, but that doesn't necessarily make that boy a man. You know what I mean? Ice Iceman's trying to get any favors he can get here. I guess. <laughs> but then he does say you're as much a man as any of us, boy. Boy. <laughs> but remember, you're still a boy. So uh, ice, or I'm sorry, Cyclops. So Cyclops decides that the best plan is to conserve their power and wait for the first opening. Uh, decent plan. Yeah, sure. Well, we've got nothing else to work with. Unless the Sentinels never come back. <laughs> yes, I mean the Sentinels don't need to eat or sleep, so really they could leave for like a week <laughs> and come back. Oh shoot, the X Men! Ah, R five. You were supposed to. Oh, you were supposed to feed them. <laughs> No, 3D was going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, we move on to um, what must be Master Mold's solitude of Fortress of Solitude or something. His chair. The Master Chamber. Yeah, the Master Chamber. He has decided that he no longer needs to probe the beast's mind mm -hmm. uh, because, well, uh, the professor stopped him from doing it last issue anyway. Did he? He he did. How did he do that? Oh, he. That's right, because he had he his, shut, his he shut the beast down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, anyways, he, but but Master Mold has learned that uh, you know uh, I've I've seen what this simpering mutant is all about, and he's got this bag of feelings and mushy bones and stuff. And the <laughs> yeah. X Men, they can't harm us. Plus, we captured the other ones anyway. So. Yeah, there's really not much to worry about. Never mind the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, and the myriad of other superheroes out there. We're <laughs> unstoppable now that we have this band of teenagers. <laughs> so they go to put Beast back with the others, and then Bolivar Trask continues his uh, 
speeching from last issue where he realizes yet again that he made a mistake. The Sentinels are bad. The X-Men are good. And oops. Yeah, and uh, so Master Mold again reminds him that I've got so much power and I'm going to destroy a city. And by the way, I can shoot disintegrating beams out of my finger. So he does, uh, thereby destroying, I don't know, the the mind, psycho mind ray from last issue, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I hope they didn't need that. Like, <laughs> I hope that wasn't like a key sentinel-making component. Otherwise, you know, Master Mold's going to feel pretty stupid later on. <laughs> but no, it's just some random thing with like, it looks like it has about six wheels on it. So I don't know what, what it was. Maybe it was like a sentinel baby buggy for the little baby sentinels. Oh, man, how are they going to push their <laughs> babies around? Right, they grow up so fast, it doesn't really matter, you know. <laughs> so uh, Trask is pretty depressed. He's caught in a catch-22, and he feels that uh, creating Sentinels is the only way to save the city and and maybe perhaps redeem some shred of humanity. Yep. So then we move to the television studio from a couple of issues ago where the fallen Sentinel is, and the police are... Doing an investigation, it looks like. Yes, Sentinel 3R is still collapsed from two issues ago. Mm-hmm. They haven't bothered moving him or anything such as that. I don't know how much time has happened between the time that the Sentinels left, but. Um, yeah, I don't not, know. A couple hours? I'm not, not, not sure what this police officer with the sketchbook is doing. <laughs> is this the Sentinel that did it? Yeah, he's right there. Oh. oh. <laughs> He's either drawing a sketch or, or making detailed notes about his costume. The suspect is robotic in nature and about 12 feet tall. So they bring in this crippled man who turns out in to a be... a chair. Yeah. They bring him in in a chair because there's not a wheelchair around. Well, so they're carrying a chair in. Yeah. Come on, Adam. What uh, else are they going to do? Probably, it's probably true to the times because there probably weren't a lot of wheelchairs yeah. all the time. But I just—it's a funny picture. Adam, think about your office right now. If somebody came into your office and they're like, "I have an idea to do something with your company, but my legs don't work, and I need to talk to your CEO," who's gonna—is there a wheelchair that somebody can? Oh, hang on, sir. Let me go get the wheelchair. I bet you this day and age, you'd still be like, "All right, well, let's grab the chair." It's it's good to ask question, but <laughs> I have a feeling. Uh, that it would have just been easier to pick up the professor and have the other guy carry the chair. Uh, uh, uh. None of the guys wanted to like look gay or anything, so like that's pretty nice <laughs> chair. I don't, I don't want him hugging me. Plus, I mean, we already talked about him. He's been dragging himself through the forest for like three or four hours trying to get to the highway. I mean, he's probably soaked in his own urine and feces and everything. I mean, he doesn't probably have that great a control over his lower half, right? The other other guy already picked him up, so he stinks already. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Fine. So they set his chair down next to the sentinel head, and the sentinel says, oh, I mean, the professor says, yeah, he's so dangerous. I got to learn why he collapsed. Yeah, the police are somewhat skeptical of Professor Xavier. They recognize him, but at the same time, they're like, Hey, we'll take any help we can get. Well, actually, yeah, yeah. These guys are totally desperate. No, these guys are, they're they're starstruck because they're like, oh, he's the one from TV. He can help us. So they let him do whatever he's doing. And the professor to any, uh, anybody watching seems to just stare intently at the, the, the Sentinel. So, you know, I have a problem with this because 
The professor is probing the figure in front of him by sheer mental energy. Right. Doesn't make any sense. And I'm going to continue harping on this until they come up with some level of consistency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It's He's a robot, and therefore the professor should not be able to do anything. I think a more, uh, com- I think a more compelling story would have been for him to get into the situation, use his mental powers, and then realize, wait, my mental powers don't do anything because this is a lifeless robot that doesn't have any brains. My X-Men are trapped. My power isn't going to help me. What am I going to do? And instead of spending a bunch of useless panels thinking about things, he spends a couple of panels doing like a little bit of investigation, looking around, and actually we could come to the same conclusion that we come to on the third panel by just merely using observation and clues. But for some reason yeah. he has to use his power. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, even if they had to use his power, they could have done something neat where he astrally projected himself as a tiny little guy into the innards of the sentinel that oh. might have been neat and then he could have like gotten maybe like uh not a bird's eye view but the opposite of a bird's eye view a sentinel perspective like astral yeah, form exactly. and then been like what is around me that oh that that crystal over there i wonder if that crystal's that got cool yeah, all right well dear stanley this is how this issue <laughs> could have been better anyways so he they all know well the professor notices this crystal and apparently it's some store sign thing that is being used but happens to be in the path of the beam that is controlling or powering or something the sentinels i don't know if we ever actually find out what it is yeah it's just whatever it is it's interfering with his connection to the sentinel citadel yes so then they talk about well if we move the crystal then the sentinel might get up that's too dangerous which I don't quite get because the professor's like, I've got a better idea. We must destroy the source of the the transmission. We're going to put that whole thought on hold and then move on. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I think you know where I'm going. I do know where okay. you're going. <laughs> All right. So uh, on the last panel here, uh, the section leader orders the, I don't know, Sentinel-2 or something to take the beast to the other uh, X-Men. To await disposal. Oh, yeah. So uh, they're going to open the globe to d- jump the beast in, and uh, the X-Men are ready. They're like, oh, this is, this is our moment. This is what we've been waiting for. We've been storing up our energy exactly for this. Scott, your plan was genius. We're totally going to do this. There is a lot of space dedicated towards opening the hole of the bubble. The first thing that happens is that the Sentinels form a circle around the globe just in case the X-Men try anything. Mm, that's good planning. Then... When they open the when they open the a hole into the globe, Cyclops blasts the face of the guy trying to move Beast into it. Beast drops, and all of the all of the Sentinels who are all ready to, you know, stop ex- this th- exact thing from happening, all run into each other. Yeah, and there's one Sentinel who's completely upside down with his feet in the air. Yeah, how does this happen? It's like a this really is ridiculous. It's like a really bad episode of like the Three Stooges or something. Everybody's just falling over everybody else. I repeat, all lined up exactly prepared for this as soon as it happens. Uh, it's like it's a calamity. really It's a really bad football play where they all decided, "Oh, there he is." And then they all just collapse upon each other and uh Cyclops is able to use that moment to leap out of the globe. Yep. And uh, that hole stays open, and Angel grabs Jean and flies her out of there. 
Yeah, but now there's a line of dialogue here where Jean says, Oh, it's only big enough for us to slip through one at a time. Hank and Bobby will never make it. Well, if you look at the first panel, Hank is dropped on the floor. Yeah, he's so not he's, even in it. He's already out, you know, so all you got to really worry about is Iceman. And I don't know, it seems like a shortcoming in storytelling there, but. And if there's, if, if there's only enough room to slip out one at a time, then how did Angel get out carrying Gene? It's a very big hole. Uh, it looks like we probably could have grabbed Iceman as well, but whatever. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, Sentinel so, T is pulling the lever that will turn the, that will actually close the globe. Yeah. And uh, Cyclops blasts the machine. Mm-hmm. Just the lever. He blasts the whole freaking machine. That's good planning. I mean, geez, it's about time Cyclops used that power for something. <laughs> Angel comes flying around. His his plan was that he would fly and confuse the Sentinels, and the Sentinels would punch random electronics, which they do. Totally works. Mm-hmm. A Sentinel goes after Jean Grey, and she, she can't te- telekinetically uh, force him back because he's too heavy. So she tele- telekinetically puts him off balance. By making his arms flip behind him. Mm-hmm. And then, uh... Apparently, you know, yeah, apparently that's enough to topple him backwards. The yeah. boys, of course, are worried about her. Hey, Jeannie needs help. Let's go. And she's like, eh, I already did it. And then, just to add a little bit uh, on there, Iceman throws some ice underneath the Sentinel so that when he tries to get back up, he falls down. It's very comical. <laughs> a lot of sliding yeah. and slipping and tripping and whatnot. It's a good thing all those other Sentinels of the rooms are still tangled. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they X-Men might be in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> so uh, Cyclops, who can't be more than 105 pounds soaking wet, you know, picks up Beast, <laughs> who's probably, what, 240, uh, and throws him over his shoulders, and they run away. Adrenaline. It's all adrenaline. Could be, sure, sure. A latent mutant power, perhaps. And then the uh, stun ray sentinel must be in the room available <laughs> at this time because they now prepare stun rays, aim stun rays, and fire stun rays. I have a theory about this. Now, <laughs> they haven't used the stun ray up until this point, and they could have at any point used the stun ray, which also says you probably don't even need that gravity uh, bubble because you could just keep stun raying them. My theory here is that the section leader finally entered the room and gave the command yeah. to allow the stun ray guy to actually use his stun ray. Cause that, that's true. Otherwise, they would I have been just stun raying them the whole time. I do like how they have to be told to prepare the stun rays, <laughs> and then they have to be told to aim the stun rays, and then they have to be prepared. Now, at my command, fire the stun rays. It's a lot of dialogue just to shoot a stun ray. But it, it, they, needed, they needed precise timing. Yeah, yeah. Boom! And the X-Men are all knocked unconscious. So Sentinel-1 is practicing his Sieg Heil here, I see. Yep. Oh, no, no, no. He's uh, preparing the Destructo Beam. Uh, yes, because he, he's sick of the X-Men. Stun rays have knocked him out, but it's like, this This is too much. Let's let's actually destruct them. Take a look at that Sieg Heil arm. That is a yeah. really long arm. I mean, that's almost ape-like proportions. If he was to drop that to his side, that those <laughs> fingertips are hanging below his knees. That's true. I just want to put that out there. That's why he's sitting on one. <laughs> he's got the longest arms. 
uh, you're going to be the stunray one, and you're going to have long arms, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's all we'll do with this. But then the Sentinels all fall down. They're all broken. Yep. Well, I don't know why that happened. No sooner than these fateful words are uttered, the entire body of Sentinels suddenly sags to the floor and lies still. Mm-hmm. So we cut outside where we see the professor has convinced three helicopters to take the crystal from the city and bring it overhead of the Sentinel Citadel. This is quite a rope contraption that is carrying this crystal. You would think that you would only need maybe one helicopter to transport it, but there are three helicopters flying in formation holding this crystal in place. Which begs the next question... How, how, what happened at the TV studio when they moved this crystal that the professor said, we can't move this crystal, otherwise the Sentinel's going to get up? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think they must have tied him up. I don't know. <laughs> yes. yes, they tied him up. So uh, the people are very confused. Why are we listening to this old man? However, one of the police officers says, wow, we got word from Washington itself to do whatever he said. Once again, saying, uh, pointing out that the professor has deep ties with the U.S. government for some reason. Mind wipe. <laughs> what? <laughs> but uh, um, a gun zees itself out of the Sentinel Citadel, which has uh, spontaneously erupted out of the ground. Yeah, and uh, creates a deadly turbulence in the air. Mm-hmm. Then the professor says, no, continue to fly. There will be no danger. Yeah, there's a bunch of whirlwinds basically just flying everywhere all over the place. But yeah, It's not really much of a gun. No. It's just kind of a, it's like a whirlwind shooter. I would call it a whirlwind ray. Or, or a whirly ray. <laughs> <laughs> a whirlo ray? Oh, anyways. So the Sentinels, uh, uh, just as the professor predicts, uh, they collapse. So I guess the the way that the crystal has to work is that it sends out a signal of its own that is more powerful or overwrites the signal that is being sent to them. Because clearly it is not blocking anything. Because yeah. the, the signal from the, the citadel would be what's controlling them. And they're not blocking that signal because they're all inside the citadel. So uh, it has to be something where this is a more powerful signal that interrupts it. You're overthinking it. I'm Bolivar Trask yeah. clearly has I've been left to know I've been left to the means of having to overthink it. Bolivar Trask clearly has lots of money at his disposal. He was able to build all of these sentinels, a giant master mold robot, which is five times the size of any of these sentinels. He's built a citadel that's underneath the ground that can go up and down uh, seemingly within moments. I mean, that's that's a no no small feat of hydraulics there to have that thing raising up and down like it is. My theory is is that to avoid any possibility of the Citadel being destroyed and taking out all of his Sentinels, he launched a satellite. And the satellite is what's remote control, not controlling because they seem to have free thought, but remote control power, providing them with wireless power. The problem he didn't quite work out was that he should have done three geosynchronous so that we wouldn't be in the problem that he is having now. (laughs) Single point of okay. failure. Who's overthinking it? Oh, wait, me? Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going to stick with my uh, kryptonite theory. Oh, satellites. It's all about satellites and microchips. 
All right, so anyways, they all fall down. The X-Men are like, oh, my gosh, what happened? We got to – now let's go. We got to get them. And I do Everybody like – wakes up, including Beast. Yeah, yeah, Beast is finally – he's come to uh, – but I really like this this bottom panel. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Where they all take off. With yeah, you got, you got Angel on the side, and the X-Men are underneath his wings, and it's kind of a cool panel. Yeah, they're they're all united to go after Master Mold, and then the lights go out. Yep, yep, yep. And this is actually another cool panel there on uh, page fifteen, where all the lights are out. I don't know if this was the intent, but like all of the X Men are, they all seem to have warped proportions, uh, and look like just monstrous zombies to me. (laughs) It's kind of a scary panel. It's pretty stylish. Yeah, it's really cool. I think, Uh, but the Beast. And notices that there's a, an incredibly powerful machine somewhere because he can feel the energy on the floor with his feet. And uh, we cut into the Master Mold's lair where it turns out the Beast is right. There is a massive machine creating eight sentinels mm-hmm. uh, from the from the energy from scratch from the energy of Master Mold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he's basically creating the sentinels uh, in what looks like a giant ice cube tray. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and, and so I guess throughout all of these issues, I, I mean, I would really ima- have imagined there being a like a, a car assembly line with conveyor belts and mechanical arms and whatnot, putting these uh, sentinels together, attaching arms and heads and gears and disrupto rays and whatever but what is really happening here is power is being fed into master mold who is shooting a beam into the middle of this ice chest which is mechanic not magically because they do explain it on the next page but turning energy into matter which is creating the sentinels or some such nonsense this is advanced technology yeah yeah oh i'm sorry it's it's syntho particles Ah, uh, yes, yes. Syntho particles. Is that on the periodic table of elements, the syntho element? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yes. okay. We've figured out how to harness the power of syntho. Make it's some right sentinels. under master mold energy. <laughs> gotcha. Wow. All right, so, you know, that, that happens. <laughs> well, this process of the sentinels is, is happening. Bolivar Trask is starting to have second thoughts about the whole thing. He is starting to think about well, I guess he, he he finally realizes that if the entire human race being uh, taken over by sentinels is probably worse than having a city destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and then he basically turns totally selfish and says, "This is all my fault, and I if if I will be remembered as a really bad guy if I do this." I don't so, think that's selfish. I think that's selfless. Well, he he he's basically doing something selfless because he doesn't want to be remembered as a bad person. And I think that's admirable. <laughs> he doesn't care about anybody else. He just doesn't want to be remembered as a jerk. Uh, well, I mean, who does, really? Yeah. So he takes a giant wrench and starts smashing the main machine out of it, the ionic power source. No, I've just remembered that my own life means nothing. Oh, see? Look, that's very selfless. I'll sacrifice it gladly to undo the dread thing I've done. 
very well. <laughs> and so... The ionic power source. If you shatter that, you destroy everything. Even I cannot survive. Oh, really? You mean to tell me that three issues ago, somebody could have just taken a wrench to the ionic power machine and just destroyed the whole thing? Yeah. I guess uh, the moment was now. So you either didn't, you didn't have a chance until this exact moment. I guess, but either Bolivar Trask truly is selfish and thought that there was a way that he was going to be able to do this and survive and, and not be like the most hated man on the planet, or he is... an just a complete and utter moron because he forgot about the the one uh, uh, Achilles heel of this entire process, which would be the ionic power meter or whatever the hell it was. I was a little let down by that, I'll tell you. Well, maybe the ionic power source only could destroy Master Mold if the Sentinel process has begun. See, now that's fine. You throw in that one little piece of dialogue and all of a sudden it's like, oh, all right, so he's vulnerable when he's creating Sentinels. That makes sense because he's using a lot of energy and resources to create all these other Sentinels and he can't focus those on his shields and his other you know, defensive mechanisms. But without that line, it's just like, oh, you know, somebody could have peed on it and we'd have been done with this like, you know, two <laughs> issues ago. Beast could have been like, oh, stop with the mind thing and just, you know, whatever. Yeah. Okay, he's so been, anyways. He's been too conflicted this whole time. I mean, the whole, every his his lines of dialogue throughout this whole thing have been, ah, the X-Men weren't so bad. Yeah, he, I'm he, wrong. He figured that out two issues ago, though. Yeah, but he's still talking about it. Yes, he he's fixated on it. You know? I mean, just before he smashes the ionic power source, he says, I meant to help mankind to protect it from mutants. I can't destroy it now. He's still harping about the mutants. So after he hits the ionic power sphere or whatever the hell it is, uh, the room explodes. Yep. And the, ex- boom. And the X-Men who are on their way to fight the source of the power thing that they had felt on their feet come just in time to see the room explode. <laughs> yeah. Once again, being completely ineffective for this entire issue. <laughs> yep. And then a huge heat wave comes and knocks uh, Bobby Iceman out, which doesn't make any sense to me because if he's really cold, <laughs> he should be able to withstand the heat more so than any of the others. Yeah, all the if other- this heat is so powerful... It should knock all the others out, too. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe Iceman has a lower body temperature because he's always surrounded in ice or something. Maybe that's part of his mutant power. And he's just like, oh, heat sucks. Ew, Florida, oh, hot, no. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. The rest of the X-Men are not bothered at all by the heat except for Iceman. So Beast, it's just weird. We now decide to throw in some modicum of physics, uh, where Beast says, "Hey, I need to go get Iceman, but he's going to be pretty slippery. <laughs> I better carry him on my legs instead of my feet. <laughs> That'll prevent him from being slippery." <laughs> yeah, so he does, and and I guess Stanley must have realized that he blew up the Master Mold a little too early because now we're treated to like two pages of escape sequence, which yeah. is just like. It's it's really dull. <laughs> well, apparently Beast and Iceman escape right away. Yeah, because we focus on the other three: Angel, uh, Jean Grey, and Cyclops for the rest of the issue. And they end up uh, Cyclops is levitated over a fire by Jean Grey, and then Angel picks up 
Jean Grey and brings her to safety, but then she ends up having to tell to to uh, telepathically levitate both of them because he can't flap his wings or they'll catch on fire. Mm-hmm. And so they all make it across. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think the X-Men have done any fighting whatsoever this entire issue. Uh, we were given that nice little splat, not splash, but that nice little panel of the X-Men getting ready to fight. But basically yeah. they've been either captured, running, and now jumping over fires. I mean, really the only thing that they've gotten a chance to fight here is this particular fire. Yeah, uh, and then Jean Grey, she she she. So, uh, Cyclops's brilliant plan is to have Jean look for any hidden escape lock devices. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant! Could you look for something that looks like it doesn't exist? Could you do that real quick so that we can get out of here? Hey, why don't you look for a hidden key? Is there a hidden key for the hidden door? <laughs> and she finds the hidden key to the hidden door, and she's able to telepathically open it through a wall. <laughs> Yeah. Why is that lock mechanism there? Not even the Sentinels can get at it. It makes no sense. <laughs> Who's behind that wall that would ever use that latch? And how does she recognize it as a lock mechanism? I don't know. It's so stupid. But anyway, she unhinges it, and it's not a moment too soon because this place is coming down or something. At any rate, they escape out of the Sentinel Citadel, and the police see them come out, but then the professor uh, blocks the the sight of them from the police. So the Iceman are, uh, the X Men are left alone to uh, the freedom of not being spotted, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a daring uh, uh, climbing down the mountain. Where yeah. the, mountain, the, the, the the citadel is falling apart as Beast climbs down, holding it, holding Iceman with one arm. Angel, Cyclops, and Marvel Girl got to battle the fire, and Iceman and Beast get to battle the crumbling cliff. Angel shows up and takes uh, Iceman off of Beast's hands, and then Beast is able to climb down the mountain and dodge stuff. And he does it very uh, um, with a lot of uh, bravado there. Oh, yeah. I don't, I'm not encumbered anymore. I can run down. This is like child's play. I can go anywhere I want and do flips and jumps and look at me. Yep. A typical beast style. Mm-hmm. And then the whole place explodes. Yeah. I, we'll never know what caused those explosions. The explosions which saved humanity. Yeah. And then we're treated to what I think may be... I can't really tell here, and maybe you can with, with yours. I think yours is recolored. But on top of Master Mold, it looks like Bolivar Trask is laying there with his head all bloodied on Master Mold's chest. I don't see any blood. Uh, my version does not have any blood. I'm going to have to... I see ha- his hair, and mm-hmm. he's wearing gloves. I'm going to have to scan this in then or something, because maybe it's a mistake, because he's got yellow gloves, a green jacket... What well, looks to be in in mine colorized, kind of like orangish hair, and then surrounding the orange hair is like red all over the place. Huh. Not all yeah. over the place, but just like a little to the left and the right of his head, and then the rest of Master Mold is purple. Yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't have any red. All right. I I'm gonna white, I'm gonna, white hair. I'm gonna. Oh, really? I'm gonna. All right. Well, we're gonna this picture. We're gonna put this picture up on on the page because I believe that this is the first dead person presented in the X Men comic book and, and bloodied dead person. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So uh, then the next page, or I'm sorry, the next panel is. Oh, uh, we get we get oh. the uh, the lesson of this issue first. Oh. Yeah, beware the fanatic. Too often his cure is deadlier by far than the evil he denounces. Yeah, they, I think this the closing little lesson here is actually poignant, very very poignant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so then, uh, I would. It would be interesting to do kind of a running timeline of of what what it seems like the X Men uh, are doing, uh, and what I mean by that is uh, not 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 within the release schedule of the comic books, but like what a real life uh, timeline would look. Because the X Men before these three issues had just healed from their battle with the Juggernaut, and I think right before the Juggernaut showed up, they had arrived from another mission, and and on and on and on. Well, so after they've defeated the Sentinels, we're treated to somebody lurking out of what looks like to be the mansion walls. Yep. Kind of yep. kind of indicating that as soon as they get back to the mansion, there's another battle awaiting for them. We get a menacing shadow on the walls of the X-Men headquarters, yes. Oh, and it even says the headquarters building. So it's not even speculation. We know what's happening. So I guess my point is it seems like the last, like, eight issues have all occurred within the span of, like, a week. Well, yeah, this is a fast-paced mag. <laughs> You'd think that they would be very, very tired. Oh, no rest for the wicked. No. Um, and so that takes us to the letters page. Um, I think I only read one. I only read the first letter. I thought it was kind of funny. Guy getting super... Uh, super nerded up with the scientific terms of homo sapien, homo sapiens, and homo superior, and basically saying that Marvel is misusing all of their terminology. <laughs> yep, and Marvel ignores it. Marvel's like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, there was one letter that I thought was kind of uh, amusing. Um, someone has formed the help stamp out putting down of Artie Simic in Marvel Mag Society. Oh. Which I, I thought is kind of amusing considering we bring it up frequently yeah i feel bad for that dude we the undersigned are sick and tired of seeing those blasphemous comments on Artie's luscious lettering in the credits on his splash page of all your mags until he gets his just rewards we will picket all of the newsstands in the five county mosquito control district yeah and he should feel better because his letter was carefully read by sloppy sneaky skinny stanley Oh, and then carefully reread by sophisticated, sensational, superb, artisanic. Well, there you have it. There you have it, indeed. Um. So there you go. There's the ending of the the Sentinel trilogy, the trilogy of Sentinels, or or something. I wonder if we'll ever see Sentinels again. I wonder too. <laughs> For that matter, I wonder if we'll see any of the wonderful villains that have made their appearance in the Marvel comic book, The X-Men. Probably not. I hope next week's villain is a unique new villain that we haven't seen before. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But really, yeah. What did you say, realistically? Oh, I don't know. So, uh, I mean, realistically, uh, the... As goofy as this issue was, I, I still like the introduction of the Sentinels, the introduction of basically what becomes a larger storyline and, and ultimately uh, defines the the 
supposed alternate future or possible future of the world or, or mutant kind, whichever you want to look at it. So kind of neat to see the origins of how, how those stories began. And I think that's actually kind of what I enjoy about these comics and what makes me a little bit nervous about, uh, you know, the rebooting of, of comic books and reimaginings and all that sort of stuff is that there's everything is it's all built upon previous storytelling, you know, and, and a lot of careful attention and, and detail has to be put into the stories as as you progress forward to flesh out a universe, as it were. Yeah, I think what we're witnessing now is the, the groundwork, which is pretty cool. And, um, yeah, I agree. If a smart rebooting or, or retelling would start completely fresh and not try to retell the same stories with updated cell phones and whatnot. <laughs> right. So anyways, that's, uh, that's what I, that's what I have to say about that. Um, aside from the goofy sixties storytelling, the, the juggernaut saga and the Sentinel saga has been a uh, good read in my book. Yes. Agreed. So, folks, if you think they were good reads, and if you think that this show is a good listen, you should comment. Uh, put a comment on our iTunes page. If you go to iTunes and type in Danger Room, you can list a comment in there. And uh, as I said last week, we will we will put your we will we will read your name on our podcast. I'm just gonna like- I'm just gonna start reading random names. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you can leave comments at our website at www.redcatproductions.com slash danger room. And uh, you can go to, you can leave them on Facebook and at facebook.com slash danger room podcast. And all of these places, you can also listen to the episodes. Yes. And feel free to also email us if you'd like at uh, dangerroom at redcapproductions.com in addition to all of those other ways that you can get in contact with us and let us know what you think of the comic book commentary that we are laying down. Yeah. And uh, if you like this, tell other people about it who might also like it. If you don't like it and you know other people that might like it, tell them. It's tell a friend week. It's (laughs) it's <laughs> I don't know. It's just, just go tell a friend. That's all. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> this week, go tell a friend. And the next week, go tell another friend, and just keep telling friends. Uh, yeah, actually, actually tell two friends. Week is at this point. Adam and I would just like to know that there is a living, breathing person on the end of these earbuds that we are talking into. Uh, so even if you have nothing to say, you could just drop a line saying hi. I have listened. Which is not to say that we're going to stop ever. No. But yeah, it would. It would we need some validation. I yeah, mean, yeah. come on. Tell me. Tell, just just tell, nice. Tell me I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, folks. Uh, stay tuned for next week's exciting uh, start of a new, what, what, what will hopefully be another exciting uh, storyline or, or maybe just a crappy one-off. Who knows? You'll never know until you listen. Uh, But until that time, this is uh, Jeremy and Adam saying that the danger room is closed. Uh